Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. one of those books you're not supposed to preach from I'm just saying that just because it's not like every day someone preaches from the book of Malachi but I'm going to preach the whole book tonight in a nutshell more or less but uh, Malachi chapter number three and I want to start with verse number one and just read a few verses of scripture amen there this evening amen Malachi chapter number three I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Amen. If you're there, say amen. If not, cheat. Use the screen. Behold, I gave you the clue, the last book in the Old Testament. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness from this text tonight and more 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 properly from the book of malachi i want to minister this it's a song that we sing around here the title of this tonight is oh how he loves us oh how he loves us Amen. Let's go right now to prayer. Ask God to touch our minds, open our hearts to his word. Father, God, I come to you tonight and I'm asking, Lord, that you would help us in the next little while. Lord, in the delivery, Lord, of this Lord message tonight, God, from the book of Malachi, I pray, O oh Lord, that you're able to help us. God, strengthen the minister, Lord, to our spirits, to our souls. Help us, God, to be challenged. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged. God, let your word of God be profitable, Lord, for all those areas that it says that it is. And help us, God, to take it into our bosom. God, and thank you, Lord God, for what you'll speak and what you'll say tonight through your word. God, and we give you glory for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. Amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm not talking about the sermon. All right. But I'm saying that because many of us have heard that perhaps in our years of growing up. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm not sure my dad ever said this uh, to me as a child growing up, but I know if he didn't, he had several opportunities where he could have, where he could have said it. I was a very hard-headed kid, and I suppose a hard-bottomed kid as well. I would go back several times and do the exact same thing just after having gotten corrected for it i mean right back like no time delay right back and do the same thing over several times over my sisters can vouch for me that there were times four or five times i might get spanked for the exact same thing 
because I was a very hard-headed kid, a very hard-bottomed kid, doing it over and over. And not only that, I had a temper to be trifled with. I had a temper to be trifled with. Uh, sometimes I felt angry about maybe one of the girls, one of the four older sisters had done something or said something I just didn't like. I knocked the wind out of them. Just, just, just knocked the wind out of them. And then as they were trying to catch their breath, my parents were trying to catch me. And so I was, I was a rascal, to say the least. Maybe that's the reason why we called our dog rascal. This is really a moment for me right now, if you just pause with me. But I was familiar with all the reasons why not to act the way that I acted or do what I did. And yet I ignored every phrase of common sense that my mom and dad ever spoke into my life, ever did. Don't sass your mom. Broke that one. Don't raise your voice. Messed that one up. Watch your attitude. Messed it up. You know better than that. Dead ringer. I know it, but I did it anyway. That's not how we act around here. These are things I heard in my home. Didn't matter. I acted contrary to how we act around here. Don't make me repeat it. That could be taken on multiple levels, right? I don't know if I ever sincerely doubted, though, in all of those times of being corrected in my childhood growing up, I don't know if I ever sincerely doubted my parents' love. When they disciplined me, when they corrected me, yes, I am from the generation where parents spanked their children. And I've never been to therapy over it. More than anything, it hurt my pride. More than anything, it wasn't enjoyable when the four sisters were in eye view of it taking place. And they knew I was being corrected. It was a little embarrassing, to say the least. But if I'm honest, most times, I knew exactly what I had done wrong, and I knew what was right. The discipline even wasn't a surprise whenever it came. I know it was coming. I knew that every action had an equal and opposite reaction. I knew it was coming, but I took that risk whenever I disobeyed. I took that risk when I didn't listen. Uh, here recently, me and Brother Malone was at men's conference, and you know probably exactly what I'm thinking about right now. But we was at men's conference, and they had a panel there of, of ministers and such that were entertaining questions. Uh, and one came up, and I don't have the question exactly, but it was along the lines of discipline uh, concerning uh, children and, and uh, such. And I believe it was Pastor Poole that spoke up. He was first in the line. Pastor Poole spoke up, and he told a story about some lady who was having problems with her daughter and uh, he said she was advised to and this was years ago like whenever he was younger but anyway he was advised she was advised that the next time that her daughter misbehaved there and it was during church I think he said you just take that little girl by her feet you lift her up in the air and he says you spank her butt bottom I'm sorry didn't mean to offend anybody and the next time it happened, that's what she did. She took that little girl by her feet, lifted her up in the air, and spanked her bottom. Never had another problem with her again. I leaned over to Brother Malone, and I said, and she was only 16. <laughs> Amen. 
The point of our opening phrase tonight that this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me is that our form of discipline in my generation, typically spanking, uh, was going to be harder on our parents than it was on the child because they loved us. The physical pain would hurt, but that was not as near as much of the hurt that they were going to feel emotionally because they loved us. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and verse number 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards or illegitimate children and not sons. The act of discipline, according to the book of Hebrews, it is a product of, lo- of love. And the Lord chastens those whom he loves. The act of, of, of discipline or the act of correction is a product of being in relationship with someone. The Bible says that God deals with us as sons, Whenever he chastens us, the chastening activity is found in that father-son relationship, that father-son family, if you will, tie and family link. To refuse them, the Lord's correction is really, in this essence, through looking through Hebrews, if it's a product of his love and if it's a product of being in relationship with him, then to refuse his correction is to reject a portion of his love and to reject our relationship to the Lord. He chastens his sons. He chastens, amen, those whom he loves. And discipline, we understand it resulted, of course, in our own lives, but also in scripture and lives of being children of God. That discipline comes whenever we do something that we should not have done or perhaps we didn't do something when we should have done it. Discipline resulted perhaps as a kid whenever we mistreated other people, our parents, our siblings, someone that's a stranger we didn't even know god help me amen amen whenever we just did these mind-blown things or whenever we mistreated uh you know a dog or an animal correction followed when there was a lack of respect it followed when there was a lack of respect when there was an offense the prophet malachi in the last book of the old testament shares the word of the lord with israel after her exile in Babylon for 70 years. He comes with a word from God. This is the time frame whenever Malachi is being pinned or Malachi is prophesying. It's during a time when Judah and Jerusalem are provinces of Persia. Kind of, you know, the time of the 127 provinces of Persia like we're studying in Esther. It's during the time when Judah and Jerusalem was a part of the province of Persia. And these people, some of them, as you know, have returned. Returned back to the city of God. Returned back to Judah. But some even though didn't return, there were others that returned to the city and didn't return to God. 
You hear me? We're studying Esther on Wednesday. She didn't return back to the city, but there were people that returned to the city and didn't return to God. They returned to the location. They returned to the place. They returned to Jerusalem, but they didn't return to God. This is no different. This is really no different than the Old Testament scripture about Israel whenever they left the land of Egypt. All of them left Egypt, but most of them had trouble of letting go of Egyptian desires. It's no different than even coming to church sometimes, coming to church without going to God. Right? Amen. And so Israel had their taste of foreign power. They had lived in captivity for 70 years. They had their taste of foreign power. They, they had an appetite and a taste for living in a strange land. And there was a spirit of religious indifference that had come over these people that had come back home. They are now, there's, there's a laxity, a moral laxity in their spirit that prevailed among them. The Bible even tells us in the book of Malachi that the priests were doing their duties just just out of routine, right? Just just out of the calisthenics of this is what we're supposed to do. Just just routine. Checking in and checking out. I'm doing sacrifice because that's what I'm a, I am. I'm a priest. You do sacrifice. This is a, you ever got in that mode of just coming to church you go to prayer room because that's what you do? Right? You clap your hands when something seemingly good says or agrees with Scripture because that's what you do. Well, the priests had just gotten to that type of mode. They were doing their duty out of routine. They, they lacked the former passion that they had, right? Doing it with because they understood the value of it. They knew the value of it even still now, but they're just doing it out of routine. The passion wasn't there. The care for the precision wasn't there. And so Israel was involved. As a result of all of this, uh, heart being now, they're at home and they're just doing what they're supposed to do but Israel now has a little bit of mixed worship that's taken place in their life there there's a certain allegiance to the old pagan gods of Babylon but they're trying to serve the Lord as well and the Bible says in chapter 2 and verse 11 that they had married a daughter of a strange a strange land which just basically means that they were not as faithful to God as they had formerly been faithful to God they they were not as sowed out to God as they were formerly sowed out to God their allegiance was split their their attention was divided they wanted to pay some attention to God and some attention to the gods of Persia and Babylon and so forth and so now it seems like prior to captivity the one that they thought of the great master of the universe that hung the moon that now is no longer you know the one that is the prize of their eyes and so Israel was guilty during this time of bringing lesser quality offerings to their sacrifice unto the Lord again they're just going through routine before they would bring the best of their bullock they would bring the best of their lambs but now they're bringing lesser quality offerings and sacrifices to God than he deserved they, they brought the Bible says that he they brought polluted bread. Their sacrifices that they brought to the Lord, they were blind animals, lame animals. Isn't this amazing? Before they're bringing their best, but now they're going to take old Sammy Lamb over there. You know, he's got crooked. He's, 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 he's half blind and his eyes are crossed. And we're going to give that to God. We're so appreciative of you, God. Here's our gratitude. Here's Christ, cross-eyed Sammy Lamb. You understand what I'm saying? So they were bringing less. They, they brought their animals that were sick and they gave them to God. They offered them to God. They would bring a lamb. 
<laughs> oh, three-legged John, you know. Oh, three-legged John, the bull. He lost a leg somewhere along the way. The Bible says that they were bringing torn, torn animals unto the Lord and offering them unto the Lord. These were sacrifices. And notice, sacrifice in the Old Testament leading all the way up to the New. That's how you worship God. Through your sacrifice, through your bullock, through your lamb. That's how you, that's how you worship God. And so they're bringing the old torn, the old sick, the old blind, the old lame, which was a representation of their worship. They're bringing that to God. This is now how they are approaching God. God, I'm going to serve you with my sick lamb. Their worship was sick in a different way that this generation would mind sick being said they, they, they were sick they were grotesque they were not given they, their best they were given their leftover they were given what was damaged they were given what was diseased they had something better they had better than that they just wasn't bringing better than that and what God required was their best, but they weren't given it. The firstborn, he, this is what he required. I'll take the firstborn of your flock. I'll take the first fruit of your grain. Amen. That this, the fruit, the first fruits and the firstborn that God required. You can read of this in, in Malachi chapter number three, I believe it is. Amen. That was their tithes and offerings. Huh? They're not bringing coins. They would give the firstborn of a flock to the Lord. The firstborn. They would give the first fruits of their grain. That was their tithe and their offering that they brought to God. And God even asked them in chapter 3. I'm telling you, I'm preaching the whole Malachi chapter. In chapter number 3, God asked them, hallelujah, they changed what they brought. God said, you changed it. You changed what you brought. You changed the quality of what you brought. And he says this, you've wrought me because you're not bringing what you used to bring or you're not bringing what I know you're capable Bishop there's times I walked in the church house and I've robbed God I didn't bring him my best worship I didn't bring him my best prayer I didn't bring him my best voice of adoration I didn't bring him my best hand raise I didn't bring him my best hand clap. I could have brought it. I just didn't bring it. I come and I still raise my hand by giving my blind hand and my torn praise and I giving my sick my sick appreciation and my torn gratitude and God's no doubt looking at me sometimes saying McGee you've changed what you brought amen that's not the same quality that you brought whenever I first filled you with my spirit that's not the same appreciation that you had when I first remitted all of your sins and you would come to church and lift up a hand and be so excited because your, your sins were drowned in a watery grave of baptism that's not the same quality you're robbed me. Someone say amen. And here's the fact of the matter. Just being a Christian and knowing the dynamics of human nature, we rob God sometimes. We rob him by bringing the blind and the torn and the sick and the diseased in concerning our worship. We, we rob God sometimes. But the amazing thing is this. I know humanity. I know me. Amen. We rob God. We won't bring our best, but we expect more of God than we're willing to return to him. I know it. Amen. I don't want to be on point, but when I'm in need, I want God to be on point. 
This is the fabric of humanity. I'm not talking to anybody that this doesn't affect tonight. We want to skimp by. Amen. The Bible says that God influenced the heart of a king. We've already looked at this on Wednesdays. That God influenced the heart of King Cyrus to allow the Jews to return home, to build their cities and reconstruct the temple. And the best that they can show for that. Do you understand? Their feet are trampling back the city of Jerusalem that they haven't been for seven years and the best thank you the best gratitude that they can show for that amen that newly established temple that city that's being revealed the best that they can offer to God on an altar is a blind lamb and a sick bullock and a torn sacrifice for God it's like we've been separated for 70 years we didn't want to go in the first place and we wanted to go home and now that we're home here's my blind my sick my disease and my torn lamb here's my blind bull God here's my gratitude I, I do I have a point Malachi argued in his book that it would have been better to close the temple and extinguish this is in your Bibles and if you don't believe me you can read it. it's just a few chapters long four chapters and they're short he would You'd be better just to close the temple and extinguish the fire on the altar, which was to never go out. But you'd be better off than to do all that than to come with the Lord with your sick and your blind and your halt and offend the Lord with a half-hearted sacrifice and an offering that was not worthy to the King of glory. Someone say amen. But if bringing the lesser quality sacrifice less than their best, wasn't insult enough. Look at Malachi 1.13 because they said all of this bringing, sacrificing, worship, gratitude, all of this they said, what a weariness is it? Ooh. What a weariness is it? This whole serving God stuff, what a weariness is it? It's a drudgery. It's tiresome. Sundays and Wednesdays, what a weariness. Oh, God. What a weariness is it? It's not very accommodating to my schedule. What a weariness is it? These, these things, this, this worship and this act, this has almost become a little bit of an inconvenience, God. This, this, this has become a little bit of a nuisance, God. I'm tired of going to church three times a week, God. Uh, you know, if I go, because if I go, God really wants me while I'm there to pray and lift a hand and worship and give thanks and gratitude to him. I, I'm not in the mood for all that, God. I'm just talking in the minds of humanities. They said, what a weariness it is. I mean, really? Church, I don't really feel like church right now. I get it. I've been there. You've been there. It doesn't matter who you are. We've all been there. There's times you just don't feel like getting up and going. Amen. But whenever I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me, it recalibrates my attention. It recalibrates my purpose. It can recalibrate my mood. Amen. Listen how the Message Bible says this in Malachi 1.13. I don't know if we have the Message version up there. God bless you, Brother Mason. Amen, Malachi 1.13. All except you. He said, instead of honoring me, you profane me. You profane me when you say worship is not important. And what we bring to worship is of no account. 
And when you say, I'm bored, this doesn't do anything for me. You act so superior, sticking your nose in the air, act superior to me, God of the angel armies. And when you do offer something to me, it's a hand-me-down or broken or useless. Do you think I'm going to accept it? This is God speaking to you. Yet on the flip side of all of this tonight, if you read Malachi 2.17, he says you're bringing this offering and that offering and it's torn, it's blind, it's that, and you're starting to complain that it's a weariness, that I'm a burden to you, that your service to me is a burden. I, I know I've done good things for you, but you're saying it is a burdensome thing to return gratitude to the one who saved you. You really got to get this in your mind. Do you understand how just... I don't want to be mean to us, but I'll be mean to myself. You realize how stupid we are sometimes? We have a thimble of gratitude when he spilled his life's blood for us. And I know, Sister Mason, I'll never be able to repay that. But folks, it should not keep me to just trying a little bit on this side of glory. Amen. On the flip side of all this, God says in Malachi 2.17, he says, well, you say what a weariness is, how weary it is to serve and bring and sacrifice. He says, I'll tell you this, I've become a little bit wearied with you. That's what he says in Malachi 2.17. He says, you have wearied me. Amen. I feel like a burden to you. He says, well, you should be, Brother Mason, on the other side of you sometimes. Amen. They wearied him, the Bible says, with their words. I can think of just a few ways that we weary him with our words. We break vows and promises we've made to God. We never make good on things we say we're going to do. Where the spirit comes down at a conference or a camp meeting or a service and we start be making all these promises. God, if you do this, we make the mandates. God, if you do this, I'm going to do that. If you do this, I'm going to do that. Oh, I feel the spirit of God. God, I'm going to do this. And we never follow through. We never make good on what we tell God. No doubt. He gets weary with our words. We draw nigh to God all times, as Scripture says, with our lips, but our heart is far from God. He addressed the priest even. They don't just stay with the Israel, the congregation. It gets in the leadership. Let me tell you, Sometimes as preachers and singers and musicians, we bring our broken animals too. The Bible says that the priests were failing to give glory to his name. It says that they were profaning the holiness of God, which was the very thing that he loved, that the priests were calling evil good. The priests were. The, Brother Fred, there were some priests that were petting sin in their station of the pulpit because they didn't want to offend anybody. Well, This was the attitude of Israel. Look at it, Malachi 3 and verse number 14. Ye have said, this is what he said, ye have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? So this, is, this is vain. This, oh God, help me. 
this, this going to church stuff, this praising the Lord stuff, this worship stuff, this paying tithes and offering stuff. All this stuff is vain. All this, what profit is it? Well, you can get yourself in a mindset sometime. It's like, God, this really isn't doing anything for me right now. And so I'm just not going to involve myself in it because I'm not getting anything in return from what's going on right now. I'll do it as long as I got. I feel that it's coming right back to me. I'll do it as long as I feel like it's benefiting me right now in the moment. But if there's times that I feel no benefit coming with it, forget it. I'm cutting it off. It's only fair, fair weather Christians that whenever it's boomeranging back, then we'll send up the hand and send up the voice and bring our best and our awesome sacrifice of worship. No, no. He's saying we did with this thing to serve the Lord. What, what profit is it to keep any of these ordinances? Uh, folks, I don't know, but I go back to childhood and that just sounds like a sassy, smart aleck kid. That just sounds like a sassy, smart aleck kid that doesn't realize how much their parents have done for them or how much they have sacrificed for them. Is somebody hear what I'm saying? They just don't... Un- We become like that sometimes. We become like a little sassy kid. We become like a little smart elk, a smart elk kid that just don't really understand how much he's done for us. Just because you didn't see it doesn't mean he hasn't done it. He has saved you and kept you from things you'll never be aware of until eternity gets here. But he did it without your knowledge anyhow. Someone say Amen. And yet in Malachi 3, 6, God says, look, he says, for I am the Lord and I change not. We know that. We quote Hebrews, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. But God himself is saying in Malachi, for I am God and I change not. What he's doing, he's talking to these folks that have changed. And he wants them to know, I'm the same God that you used to bring your best to. I'm the same God that you used to bring your best bullock, your best lamb in worship. I'm the same God I change not what's happened to the quality because the quality of your God has not changed what's happened to your intensity because the goodness the greatness the mighty works and acts of your God have because I change not In other words, I could understand it if I became less, if I did less, if I accomplished less, and you had brought that. But I'm the same one, the same one that delivered you from Egypt. I'm still that God. My blood is still effective. My blood is still powerful. And yet you bring me something as though I've changed. So he makes it known. I change not. With the implication, if anyone's changed, and if anyone needs to change, Israel, it's you. Lesser offerings should not be brought to the same God compared to years ago because God has not 
changed. Please don't misinterpret me. I understand, Sister Cox, and don't be offended. But as we get older, some of our bodies just can't do like they used to do. There's saints that can't kneel to pray. But they'll sit in a comfortable chair and pray the same time. They, they might not be able to take a lap around here, but they're going to do according to the maximum of their ability what it allows them to do. And you know what God sees? That's just as good as when they were a teenager because I know what they're capable of. But young people, that doesn't cut you off and allow you then to sit there because you have the ability to do more at your age or be more boisterous at your age. They're doing the max at their age. You gotta do the max at your age because God is still. Someone say amen. God's not changed. He said, but there are some actions that indicate as though maybe I have according to the way that you're acting. What warrants then this same God having sick and blind and lame and torn sacrifices brought to him? Well, that wasn't our standard of sacrifice from the beginning. Has your God changed? He says no. And in the middle of their shenanigans of chapter number three, in the middle of their shenanigans... God says, I'm going to send a messenger. I'm going to send a messenger before me, and suddenly he shall come to his temple. Many believe this is a prophecy of Christ coming into the temple in the New Testament scripture. John, the forerunner of Jesus, going forth before him, and then Jesus coming suddenly unto his temple. But nonetheless, he says, I'm going to come into my temple. And he says, who will abide the day of his coming? Or who will stand? Someone say amen. I'll tell you how it happened in the McGee household, all right? Mom was a stay-at-home mom for a good portion of my life. She worked in the beginning, worked at the nursing home nights. Dad worked. Dad took care of us at night. Mom took care of us during the day. And we had five of us. He, he made food. food. He, he fixed the girls' hair for church. And we were on time. But here's how it was in our household. Mom was the messenger that foreran dad when we're talking about are we going to be able to endure we're going to be able to abide the days of his coming are we going to be able to stand mom was the messenger and dad would suddenly come to his temple call our house and I dreaded when he got home they have little videos out there of little boys running to their dads when they get home I dreaded it I didn't run toward him. I ran away from him. And who could stand? I sat as long as I could because I knew very shortly I wouldn't be able to sit. Because I was sitting on his, his target. God says, I'm going to come as a refiner's fire and as the fuller's soap. I'm going to be the refiner. I'm going to be the purifier. And yet before he ever comes to this point, this is important. Before he ever comes to this point as the refiner, 
comes to this point as the purifier. He points out to Israel and all these areas, yes, that they may have failed and all these areas that they may have drawn back and all these areas that they have changed. But before he even starts heading down that road, talking to them about where they changed, he says in Malachi 1, verse number 2, I have loved you. Before he talks about their errors, their failures, their mishaps, their insufficient sacrifices, he tells them, I have loved you. Someone say amen. So I'm going to come as the fuller with the fuller soap. The soap of a fuller was made from the ashes of a plant. It was used to bleach the cloth. A fuller, he presses and whitens cloth by pounding it. Listen to this. By pounding it with one's feet. By pounding it with his hands. And at times they say even a club he would use against the cloth to rid it of its impurities along with the soap. David referred to this sort of treatment in the Psalms, Psalms 51 and verse 7. David is praying this prayer, requesting this. His time with Bathsheba, his sin of Bathsheba taking place. Psalms 51 is, is the prayer of repentance and, and the, uh, the amends that David is trying to make. And this is what he says in verse 7. He says, purge me. He's speaking to the Lord. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. He says, wash me. Everybody say, wash me. He says, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Again, Psalms 51 is David being re repentive over his sin, that his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He requests to be washed of his iniquity. This sin that David did in his life, you can read the Old Testament story. This sin of, of, of Bathsheba and adultery, it's been told into various other sins. As a matter of fact, after this, you can see David almost breaking every one of the Ten Commandments in Scripture. It was just one led to another. Amen. Even the murder, as you know, of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband would follow it, set off a series of transgressions. But in your Bibles, the word wash in verse number seven, there's two different Hebrew words that are translated as wash. One conveys the idea of pouring water over something or dipping something in water. But there is another word that's used for wash that specifies the washing of garments. This is the practice of a fuller. This practice occurred by beating the garment with a stick or pounding it against a rock that was submerged in water. Purposefully, David used the second wash. God trampled beat, knocked me against a rock, submerged in water. Because David understood, right? He doesn't just soon or very quickly repent of his sin with Bathsheba. He holds on to it for a while. And that misdeed, Sister Sheila, had mastered him. That misdeed had mastered him. The direction of his life had been mastered by that misdeed to a certain degree. And so David says, he's requesting God. He says, God, beat this out of me. 
God, pound this out of me. I see that this thing is so deeply entrenched in my spirit, so deeply entrenched who I am. Beat it out of me. Now listen to me. I'm not advocating a man. I'm not advocating abuse and discipline or correction or anything like that. Nobody misunderstand me. It's just that David used a word, amen, and brought to the surface a powerful illustration how some things in our life need to be dealt with in our life. You can't just... you. Ju- There's just some things in our life concerning sin you can't be gentle with. It's been on my mind a lot here lately. Amen, I said it to my wife the other day. There's just some things you can't be gentle with or you can't be polite about. Everything needs context, all right? Every little phrase, everything that goes on, Facebook and Twitter, everything needs context because sometimes we grab one thing and we paint the whole world with it. But it really needs context because I can't, if your child is about ready to step out into the road in front of a uh, uh, coming vehicle, I can't say, stop, honey, please don't do that. No, Brother Johnson, I'm going to scream to the top of my voice and it's probably not going to sound real good to the neighbors. I'm going to holler, stop, watch out. Now someone's probably thinking, what in the world is wrong with that man? You need context. That boy was about ready to step in front of a moving vehicle. Polities, all that had to step aside. There's a life in danger. Somebody needs... Listen, listen, as a pastor, there'll be times I'll come to this pulpit and I'll be as sweet and as gender as as a physician with a scalpel, amen, trying to remove with God's help what needs to be removed in your life. But there's sometimes it's invasive. There's sometimes it's in your face. There's sometimes it's a holler of stop. It's a holler of watch it. Why? Because we don't have time with all the polities. There's danger. It's... And I guarantee you this, please hear me today, and please don't misconstrue or misunderstand me. But if I did that for someone's child getting the road, I guarantee you they would thank me rather than saying you lifted your voice at my child. No, 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 they wouldn't say that. They'd be grateful for a living life that they still had in their home. Listen, folks. Someone say Amen. David knew. He says, you're going to have to beat it. You're going to have to pound it, Lord. You're going to have to. This is deeply entrenched. You're going to have to do something. I believe it was Clint Brown one time. I like to listen to Clint Brown's music. He sang one of his songs one time. and I remember him saying before his songs, he said, I'd rather be in the hands of an angry God than not to be in God's hands at all. Because it kind of goes back to the concept that we find in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18. That the Bible says, Jeremiah spied a potter that's working the clay upon the potter's wheel. And he says, the clay became marred. He said it became marred in the hands of the potter. Because if you're ever going to be marred somewhere, the best place to be marred. Is while you're still in the hands. Woo! Marred out there on the heaps, one thing, but marred in the middle of the potter's W H E E L. And for some of us, being marred in the middle of God's W I L L is better than being marred anywhere else. 
Because Jeremiah said, the potter said, I can make it again. I can make it again another vessel. Why? Because it's here in my hands. It's on my will. I can make it again. Amen. I can make it one that seems good to the potter. But you know what it might take? As potters often did, they would take that marred piece of clay. Now this, 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 this I'm telling you, this isn't G-rated. He'll take that piece of clay and he'll throw it against the center of his will. He'll take that piece of clay and he'll throw it against that piece of wheel. And he'll get that wheel turning. And they're feeling like their life is going around and around. Woo! He'll throw it against there and he'll push with intense force of his weight on top of that, ca- of that clay uh, and he'll pressurize it as he begins to form it and we think, my goodness, that's being awful violent with the clay. But the potter knows this is the means to get the vessel into an honorable vessel. Amen. So he does it because he has a vision in mind for the clay. Trenching sins require drastic measures in David's opinion. He didn't need rinsing. He didn't use that wash word. He didn't need rinsing. He needed cleansing. David understood some sins are so tethered to his being that they needed to be, quote, unquote, beat out of him, pounded out of him. I wish tonight, mom and dad probably wished the same about me. Roberta was this way. They'd say something to Roberta. She's crying. (laughs) Look at her. Cry. They probably wish that they could have just used their voice. To Paul Robert. I heard Paul Robert McGee Jr. I don't know how many times. I know my full name. God probably wishes sometimes his voice alone could influence every wrong move of our life. And I wish sometimes just remembering the Lord was enough to keep me on the straight and narrow. I am the Lord thy God, he oft times said before he gave law or correct. I am the Lord thy God. Sometimes remembering the Lord, I wish. But there are some seasons of life when a slap on the hand or an urging of a deep voice will not sway us. Because listen, as a kid, I've winked at glaring eyes before. (laughs) Some seasons require firm discipline because we are really stubborn. And sometimes our mind is so made up, it don't matter. This is David's prayer to God. God, beat me against the rock, submerged in the water. David, why would you ask such a thing? Because he knows that God chastens those he loves. And God corrects those who are his sons. David, if I could say it like this, David wanted the assurance of God's love and God's relationship through his discipline. I believe David particularly asked for him to wash him, beat him, submerge, to do the work of a fuller in his life. Because unlike a refiner that might have a tub full of metal that he's melting down, that he used tongs and stuff to go, the fuller has to get his hands on his work. Sometimes we only want to couch the Lord's love in terms of stuff like 
mercy, and grace. But listen to Pastor Knight. Judgment is no less an aspect of his love than his mercy and his grace in our life. The metal that God wants will abide the fire. No, but the impurity, it will, but the impurities won't abide the fire. The garment that gets the plunging and the beating and the washing, will it be able to take that? Yeah, but the dirt, the impurities, it won't be able to survive it. Because the refiners, the refiner wants to refine. He's not into refusing, he's just into refining. He's not into casting out. He's just impurifying. So he asks, who will abide? If you'll stand with me. Who will abide? What are you saying tonight, Brother McGee? I'm saying God points out where they have brought less quality, tells them he has not changed, but he begins his whole story with them before he ever starts and lets them know, I love you. What then is going on, God? He says, I'm telling you this. Because I love you. You're feeling the hand of the refiner and the beating against the rock and the pounding and the trampling of the feet because I love you. Because I don't want to refuse you. I just want to refine. I want to purify. I had this song a title I hope that you're going to do of my sermon tonight because we sing lyrics a lot of times and we never pay attention to the lyrics we sing. Let me point out to you this song that we've sung several times. Oh, how he loves us. And listen very easily to these lyrics. And he is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. Loves like a hurricane. Let's consider a hurricane. We've had few out in the different oceans that we've had. They start talking about the wind. They start talking about the rain. They start talking about the beating. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree. They bend some snap because of the hurricane. Bending beneath the weight of his wind because his love's like a hurricane. And mercy. Not just mercy. But wind and mercy. Look now. Epiphany. Aha moment. When all of a sudden. I'm, I'm thinking of David. He's being pounded against the rock. He's being trampled under the feet of the fuller. When all of a sudden. I am unaware of these afflictions. What? The treatment that must come. The judgment must come. Because of where we've been. Afflictions. They, all of these, I am unaware of these afflictions. Why? It's been eclipsed by glory. And what's the glory? And I realize just how beautiful you are. And how great your affections. You understand what's going on here? There is judgment. There's the beating. The fuller is doing his work. But the person that's receiving the hand of judgment of the fuller. All of what he's doing is eclipsed because they know that's being taken place by the hand of somebody that loves them. That loves them. Don't hate them. Don't want to do them harm. He loves them. He's love like a hurricane. Has anybody understood anything I've said here tonight? 
I lived in my home until I got married. Didn't try to get out when I was 18. Why? Because those five whippings I got for the five times I did the same thing. I know the guy who was doing the whipping. He loved me. And what I was feeling in the moment, Brother Johnson, was eclipsed by the understanding that this man and this woman loved me. And I would hope, I'll leave this to mom and dad, that I might be the person I am today because of the afflictions of their correction. But me staying tethered to them because they corrected who they loved and who was their son. Very seldom, especially today, are you going to find someone correcting someone that's not their child. Big time. Uh, years ago, it happened. It was like a community of correction. You can get it from your dad and your neighbor and your friend's dad. I'm just telling you. Like, if that happened at Johnny's house when you were over there and you got told by his, you'll get it when you get home too. The thing is, when you understand these are people that love you. So God looks at you, he points a finger, he, 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 he asks you to step up compared to where you were. That's his love. And that's an indication you're a son and a daughter. And that's an indication that he loves you. Just one of many. Mercy, yeah, I know he loves me when he's merciful to me. I know he loves me when he's gracious to me. Let me tell you, he's just as, mer he's just as loving towards you whenever he judges you and corrects you. Oh, how he loves us. I wish we could get to a frame of mind in our spirits that we would understand it like that. That sometimes when the preacher preaches and something comes across, he's not, he don't have just some vendetta, some ax he's trying to grind. It could be that the Lord is trying to love somebody through that man of God. In the moment, Brother Alex, it doesn't feel good. But when all of that is eclipsed by his glory, he loves me. Whew. He loves me. He's jealous for me. He wants me. These altars are open. If we just bow our heads all across this place, they're going to start to sing this song. Please pay attention to the lyrics. Again, we sing stuff sometimes. We don't, when we're singing, we just get all up. Oh, he loves me. Yeah, his love's like a hurricane. I'm bending beneath the weight of his wind. But all that's eclipsed by understanding he loves me. His glory. Oh, how he loves us. Loves like a hurricane. Malachi wanted Israel to know your God loves you. Malachi wanted them to know before he ever said one thing about where they needed to correct course, he said, the Lord has loved you. The Lord has loved you. And everything that comes after that statement is the correction, the beating, the pounding, so to speak demonstration of his love again I'm not advocating abuse but when God corrects us he's not abusing us he's loving us thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC again that's FACMC thank you and have a blessed day